After a near-death experience during a strange tornado, Danielle Moonstar awakens in an abandoned research facility run by the mysterious Dr. Cecilia Reyes. There, Dr. Reyes introduces Danny to four other equally uncommon teenagers, Iliana Rasputin, Ron Sinclair, Sam Guthrie, and Roberto da Costa. Dr. Reyes claims she wants to keep the four unusual teenagers safe and sound until they learn how to be in full control of their extraordinary abilities. However, even though the exceptional team of traumatized inmates believes that they're being treated and cared for, before long, they all start to experience horrifying hallucinations. Are they patients or prisoners? Ciao my people, and welcome to our 69th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing The New Mutants. And when we today to discuss this film, our first film for 2021 is on one hand, the man who picked this movie, Charles Skaggs. Hey, Charles, how are you? And Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you, Nick, and 69, dudes. I know, right? It's I, couldn't, I couldn't resist considering this is your 69th episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I love what you did there for sure. And, uh, of course, on the other, we have our surprise guest, John Janchek. Hey, John, how are you? Good, good. How are you guys doing? Doing very, very well. Thank you, John. You know, super happy to have you back to discuss, you know, another mutant build uh, movie for sure. And a little bit different from the one that we had you on before, but I think this is going to be a fun one indeed. We are, of course, going to be discussing The New Mutants from 2020, directed by Josh Boone, who my listeners might know from The Fault in Our Stars and Stuck in Love. It was written by Josh Boone and Nate Lee. An estimate to put it in today's money, guys, you know, or should we say, yeah, this movie cost around $80 million and made $40 Forty-six million at the box office. So, starting here with the with the chap who picked this film, Charles. What made you decide you wanted to bring New Mutants to the table? Well, uh, quite simply, I'm a fan of the comic book. I, I I've been a fan of the New Mutants ever since they debuted way back in 1982. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I'm showing my mileage on that one. But <laughs> but you know, this was actually one that I was I was looking forward to. Um, for quite a long time because they kept delaying it over and over and over. Um, and especially, you know, things being up in the air because of Disney purchasing Fox and things of that nature. So when, the, uh, when the movie came out, um, you know, a lot of people were, were, um, kind of, um, I, I guess they set the bar really low enough that, uh, I ended up enjoying this movie. I thought it was a, a, a nice surprise. I won't go into details yet, but, mm. I thought uh, that it was a, a you know a, a pretty underrated movie, and uh, I wanted to talk about it. And then, especially since it was something that just came out um, during you know the craziness of uh, 2020, that uh, I thought that it would be fun to talk about. Well, it's definitely a great choice for sure. And uh, when it comes to you, John, you know what are your initial thoughts on this film, and were you a fan of the New Mutants in comic book form? Well, I'm. Uh... I'm an X-Men fan for sure, um, but I never got into the New Mutants title. Uh, I'm familiar with a lot of the characters in this movie just because they popped in and out of the books that I do read. Um, so I was looking forward to this movie to really delve into these characters more. And um, 
I wish I could have seen it in the theaters. I would have uh, had it come out not during COVID. Um, mm-hmm. But just like Charles, when I did get to see it, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was expecting the worst and um, found myself very entertained. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit that, I, that I'm with you too, for sure, because I thought to myself, you know, this movie has been constantly pushed back and, you know, there has been a little bit of, uh, you know, bad, should we say, rumors about how, how terrible this film was and there just wasn't, you know, don't expect anything from it, was played down a lot. So, I know, I went in, you know, with super low expectations and I too was pleasantly surprised and I will definitely get to that, of course, when we do get to, to ratings and we delve into this film. So, guys, let's get to our players on the board here, starting with, you know, the movie through whose eyes this movie unfolds, if you will. Blue Hunt as Danielle Moonstar, Psyche or Mirage, take your pick. I think it's safe to say maybe that this is maybe drawing more on the Psyche incarnation of the character. Um, this, you know, you might have seen Blue Hunt in the originals, Another Life, definitely a very promising actress for sure. And fun fact, the character is actually a member of the the Cheyenne tribe, while Blue is actually a descendant of the Lakota Sioux tribe. So interesting, uh, interesting contrast kind of there. So let's start with you, John. What were your thoughts on Danielle Moonstar? Uh, Well, as I'm talking about these characters again, they're not ones that I regularly follow in the comics. So I'm Mm. going to be able to comment about them in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I did like this character. Um, I, I was, you know, involved in her at first. Um, but then when she meets up with the other mutant characters, it seemed like she was the, as the lead actress, she seemed like the weakest of all the actors in the film um, to me. And I don't comment on acting because I don't know the first thing about it. <laughs> But it just seemed like she, the other, the other actors and actresses in the movie really, you can tell they weren't, they had the weight of the situation on their soldiers and you can see it in their faces and they acted like kids in a horrible situation where she was more kind of like even keel through the whole thing, even through in her emotional scenes, she felt more like an adult and not a kid. So I, you know, I liked the character. I was, you know, a, you know interested in her character, but when she was around all the others, she just seemed a little, a little weak to me in terms of how she pulled off the, the severity of where she's at and what she's going through. She seemed more happy to find a friend than anything else. This mm. was kind of my take on it. And we definitely will get into the friend that she finds and possibly more than the friend in this case. Charles, when it comes to you, what were your thoughts on Blue Hunt's portrayal and, uh, and the character of, of Danny Moonstar? Well, I thought it was an interesting decision to make Danny the gateway, the audience's gateway character into this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one who we start off the film with, and through a very quick series of events, she's she's brought to this institution where that uh, you know she encounters the other new mutants, and 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 we're introduced to them through her eyes in a lot of ways, and um, as a result, you know. Um, you know, it. I, the focus is obviously on her, especially considering the storyline. A lot of it centered around the demon bear, which is taken uh, directly from the New Mutants comics. Mm-hmm. And um, that the actress, Blue Hunt, I thought that, you know, she, she may not have been the most polished actress here in this film, but I thought she did okay enough. I mean, I thought she was likable. She's interesting. 
a little bit of a contrast from the comic books where Danny, at least, you know, early on in the, in the new mutants series has a little bit more of a chip on her shoulder. Uh, you know, her, her people have kind of, you know, been, um, not necessarily oppressed, but just treated poorly by the government, you know, living on reservations. And so um, she's got a little bit more edge to her in the comics than she does here. But, um, but I think it, you know, it, it does, you know, it makes her more relatable to, to audiences that may not be familiar with the character. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought it was a very interesting twist to have her, uh, form a, a friendship and more with Rain in this movie, which is definitely yeah. something different from the comics. Yeah, and which is something we definitely will get to. I mean, I think it is fuel to save that safe to say that she's pretty much as you were all saying our, our lead. I do think it was a smart choice, seeing also comic book wise that you know, in as her character evolves through the comics, Danny becomes very much a leader. So I can probably see why they wanted to do that. I mean, I think she is like in this film the direct opposite of Iliana Rasputin, which we will get to and and heads up. And I was so upset at how that character was treated. I'm just saying. I'm putting that out right now. I don't know. Also, I don't know if either of you are familiar with The Worst Witch, the Enid Blyton books, which recently was also a Netflix TV show, because she reminded me very much of the character of Mildred Hubble. For folks who are not familiar with The Worst Witch, Mildred Hubble is literally the worst witch. As in, she comes in, she's very insecure about herself, she gets picked on, she has a few friends here and then, has one friend in particular. And so I very much got that kind of Mildred Hubble vibe from her. Because she's very naive, she's very kind-hearted, and she's very much, I think, the paragon of a pure-hearted character. Because, you know, she kind of comes into this having no clue about her powers, nor of what she's capable of. I think she has that almost innate budding wisdom, which has also become synonymous with Native American culture. Also, what I think was interesting is she's pretty much both the bringer of these so-called nightmares, which the rest of New Mutants experience, as of course, you know, she has yet to master her powers, but she's also the smartest of the group in figuring out that Dr. Reyes has very much a hidden agenda. So she's kind of almost the unwilling antagonist, if you will, but she's also you know, the big hero at the end of the day, too. So it was an interesting contrast. Um, I think also she's incredibly trusting of everybody, and that, that is where her naivete kicks in, both with Iliana and with Dr. Reyes, who is happily like taking blood from her and is about to murder her, even though you know, she's like... This woman is slightly off, but I'm going to kind of let her take my blood. And she's, you know, wary of her, but she still lets her do all this thing. So it was it was a curious one. I guess it was just naivete on her part. But it, but it was an interesting character for sure, though, very different from the comics. So as we did mention her a little bit, let's get to Danielle's new close friend and girlfriend in this, which was a very interesting choice on Boone and, Nate's, and Nate Lee's part. Of course, we have Maisie Williams as Rain Sinclair, Wolfsbane, who my listeners will probably know from Game of Thrones, Doctor Who, and tons more things. So starting with you, Charles, you know, I, I know that you are a, both a Doctor Who watcher, a big fan, of course, and a watcher of Game of Thrones. Right. What were your, what were your thoughts on Rain Sinclair and the fact that they did kind of make her make her and danny an item well first and foremost i have to say how much i love the casting of Maisie williams as rain uh, rain sinclair aka wolfsbane i thought that um Maisie did a great job you know obviously sometimes those scottish accents are a little tough to handle but i thought Mm. she did 
well enough. She might have got a, picked up a couple of pointers from a certain Peter Capaldi while she was <laughs> yes. on Doctor Who. At least I'm hoping. But uh, but you know, obviously after you know eight years on Game of Thrones Plus, and then you know her appearances on Doctor Who and elsewhere, that you know she's she's a much more accomplished actor than Blue Hunt is, and um, I thought you know she nailed rain as far as i'm concerned you know the the fact that you know rain has this conflict this especially in the comics when we first meet her that, that she has this strong catholic upbringing a very strict catholic upbringing and so that when she's revealed as being a mutant and uh, tormented by reverend craig who we get to see in this movie mm-hmm. um which i thought was a nice touch that um you see that you know that that it gives her gives Rain a little bit more depth because um, she does have a spiritual side to her, and so it, it becomes extremely interesting when even with Rain's strict Catholic upbringing, uh, she develops uh, a lesbian relationship with with Danny, and they become girlfriends. And um, you know, it's very. I thought it was handled very well. I thought it was very sweet. Um, didn't seem forced and almost seemed foreshadowed in a lot of ways because if you noticed during this movie, there's a couple times they cut to this kind of common area where everybody's hanging out watching TV. Mm. And they're what are, they, what are they watching? They're watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. In, especially the characters on, or excuse me, um, Willow and um, her girlfriend Tara. So it almost seems like they were foreshadowing shadowing that type of relationship between Danny and Rain, with with that little uh, little bit on the TV, in a lot of ways. And I'm sure I'm guessing that was intentional, in a lot of ways, because because it does kind of echo that type of relationship. I definitely think so too. And uh, you know, and the great points in there for there for sure. And and John, when it comes to you, what were your thoughts on on this character on, on Rain Sinclair Wolfsbane? Oh, I thought uh, I thought she did a great job. Uh, funny note: um, Will Spain um, pops in and out of X Factor quite a bit mm-hmm. when I was in X Factor, and I always pronounced it uh, Ronnie R A H N E. I always mm-hmm. pronounce it in my head. So when they said Rain for the first time, I'm like, "Oh, that's how you pronounce your name." <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I liked her a lot. I thought when um, when she goes feral and rips out her claws and starts scratching at the doctor and at the um, the bear demon, I thought that was really well done. Um, I did notice the uh, her watching the television, uh, like Charles pointed out. I think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity there in character development, as Charles mentioned. You know the strong Catholic faith, and it was only I think last summer that the Pope came out and said that uh, um, gay and lesbian people have a place in the family of God. So they could have, you know, explored the the Catholic guilt thing a little bit. And I think her watching Buffy and seeing those characters was her kind of trying to figure out her identity in a subtle way. Maybe they didn't want to go that deep into it and maybe, you know, cause some controversy. I don't know. But I th- I do think the television watching was a showing her trying to come to grips with her identity. But uh, she did a great job. I was wondering throughout the movie how they were going to transform her and... Um, like I said, when she's clawing at the doctor, I thought that was a really intense and scary scene. And uh, they pulled off that character very well. 
I mean, I think so too. I mean, first off, I'm so glad that like the comics, they actually made sure the character had a Scottish accent, which is very clear in those in the comics as well as, you know, they actually phonetically show that she has a Scottish accent. Also, the fact that she has this, like you guys were saying, very contrasting relationship with her faith as, as she does in the early versions of the comics, which spoilers are my favorite. And I have to be honest that I, I called it from the get go that she and Danny would hook up as from the get-go, she seemed overly friendly to her. And I have to admit that at first, I had to check myself on this because I was like, can't I just see two people being friends without it being sexual? And then, you know, my self-doubt and guilt melted away after they, you know, they, they start making out on the grass. I'm like, okay, so I'm not, you know, such a pervert as I thought. So I'm like, okay, cool. I got that one. They're a cute um, couple, you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah, you know, but I mean, Charles, I, that, that, my thought was because I thought, you know, she's so kind of festive with her. I'm like, come on, you know, I, I'm sure she's into her. But I was worried it was just me kind of reading too much into her. But I'm glad I was I wasn't I was I was wrong you know, that, of thinking myself that. But she is like, I agree with you. She's with you guys. She's possibly one of the better characters in this film as the struggle of being a person of faith while also dealing with the fact that she can literally turn into a feral wolf wolf was well explored. Not to mention, I think, the guilt she harbors because of it, which I think is very core to this character also in the comics. And at the same time, I did see what Boone and Lee were doing with also possibly making her a lesbian as it simply adds to that struggle. You know, you guys were pointing out that she has with her faithful, as we know, now granted the Pope recently did, has officially accepted and was so, and I'm so happy that he has um, that he yeah, accepted a gay and lesbian couples. But, you know, of course, we know that orthodox Abramaic religions do not look kindly on homosexuality. So I see what they, what they were doing there. Maybe they were like, still, this is still not, you know, at the, you know, at the, for the, um, should we say, the followers of Catholicism at large, they're still not cool with this. So that's maybe what they wanted to do. But that said, I love the contrast that, you know, her powers turn her into a wolf. And we do have that Jekyll Hyde deal because Rain is incredibly gentle and she's ferociously devoted, no pun intended, to those she cares about. And then she just goes completely wild when it comes to the wolf thing. So I really liked that contrast they brought through, which is also key in the comics, too. So, guys, let's get to the Kentucky Kid, and one who once again confirms Charles's theory that peroxide and blonde actors are so hard to find these days. Of course, <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking, of course, about Charlie Heaton as Sam Guthrie Cannonball, whom our listeners, of course, will know from Stranger Things. So, starting with, with you, John, what were your thoughts on, uh, on Sam Guthrie? I liked Sam a lot in this movie. Um, I liked I liked the fact that him and actually all these characters, you know, they they don't have control of their powers. So seeing him, you know, tie himself to the playground and fly around and try to learn how to land was was interesting. Uh, I liked the fact that he's wearing a sling, so he obviously hurt himself trying to land, um, you know, trying to figure out his powers, and um, he came across as the the simple you know country boy um but he's got a ton of guilt and and he's one of the actors that you see it in his face almost every time he's on the screen you know he's he's living with the fact that he um blasted out of that mine and killed his dad and all the mi other miners and that that just weighs so heavy on him um but you can tell he's just a you know good kid at heart that, but his powers did this terrible thing and he's having a hard time coming to terms with it um i just i really liked sam and, and how he came across here 
Definitely. And and Charles, what about you? You know, of course, aside from the fact that, you know, he wasn't blonde as in the character, as in the comics, what did you think of Cannonball in this? Well, you know, I'd I'd been familiar with Charlie Heaton because I've watched Stranger Things. I thought he does a great job as Jonathan Byers on that show. Mm -hmm. So I was interested to see what he would bring to Sam. I'm not sure he quite nails the Kentucky accent, Mm. especially since, uh, you know, I'm from Ohio. We're only one state away. So, you know, I I don't think it's quite as as on point as perhaps Maisie Williams' Scottish accent was. But Sam is very likable. Sam is a very regular guy. He, um, but in this version, much more so than in the comics, he's a much more tormented figure. Uh, Mm. Like, like, um, you know, you guys were talking about that he is, you know, um, he feels this this guilt over his, um, you know, his father's death in the mines, which is a little bit unusual because when we're first introduced to Sam in the comics, he just basically panics after being in the, in the mine and um, almost causes a cave in, but is able to help rescue people in the process. So it's not like he's responsible for deaths in the comics. So, so that was a, a little bit of a darker twist to this character, but it was interesting. And, you know, we kind of get where we get these little hints that were, are kind of doled out that Sam is prone to hurting himself, probably because of this guilt that he, in the process of trying to master his powers, it almost seems like he's being a bit masochistic and punishing himself in the process you know that's why we see him you know wearing what you know the 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 cat the arm cast uh we see you know his eye is, is all banged up and whatnot that and apparently this is a regular thing with him and and, it, and until he's able to come to terms with that it's it's probably you know that's in the third act it's not where we get and until then that where we get to see him um step forward as, as more of a hero than a tormented figure. Yeah, this is very true. In fact, because I thought that was a, that was an interesting, you know, choice that they made when it came to to Sam Guthrie. Because you know, aside from you know, of course, the the gripe of Sam not being blonde and being very different from his comic counterpart. You know, aside possibly from the because you know, also he's, he's fact- usually more happy go lucky. Right? That's exactly it. Yeah, because here you have a a, a, a man who's completely ridden with survivor's guilt, you know, over the mining accident. And, you know, I would have liked more about this character because, you know, as he is possibly one of the most tormented of, of the ones that we see, but I think our duo, our um, duo of writers do what I did like about this. Granted, he's very different and, you know, he's more dour and less positive compared to the comics. I suppose what our two writers wanted to do here were they, they did want to address the theme of self-harm. Like you were pointing out, Charles, you know, because we discovered that Sam actually punches himself as a form of punishment. As, yeah. and, and as when he uses his powers, he's invulnerable. But I, you know, but that was, wasn't the case here, though. He's not yeah. invulnerable. Well, as it turns out, because otherwise he wouldn't be as banged up as he is. Exactly. So I guess they kind of also changed his powers a little yeah. bit to where, which was an odd choice. But I suppose they're like, oh, we have to have this tormented guy who, you know, of course, suffers from self-harm. And, you know, because of feeling so guilty about um, about what happened in the mines and, you know, him ostensibly in this film killing his father. 
Um, I think that's that's probably where they were going. But it is a it was a very curious take, I find, from somebody who's so optimistic. But then again, I suppose here they wanted to make a very dark movie. Everybody's got some kind of torment going on in their lives. And so I suppose like we can't have, you know, um, Sam Guthrie kind of jumping off the the wall saying, oh, you know, oh, it's a beautiful morning or stuff like that, I suppose. So the police are coming for you, Nick. Yes, exactly. The police are coming for me. <laughs> yeah, as the as the sirens blare off in the distance. But yeah, I I thought it was an interesting story. I mean, Charlie Heaton is a great actor. He possibly might not have been the right choice for this, but um, but as I but as I said, I see what they were trying to do. But he is probably my least favorite character in this. I mean, he does well with what he's given, but I would have liked a different kind of cannonball. Uh, that I'm just saying because I really like you were pointing out, Charles. He's so much more positive in the comics, and I kind of wanted that Sam Guthrie seeing it being the first time we get to see him on the big screen. So, a bit of a missed opportunity there. But that aside, let's then get to our next character here, our Brazilian mutant, and I guess one could describe him as the cocky character, Henry Zaga as Roberto da Costa, Sunspot. So, you know, starting with you, Charles, you know, I remember you had um, a few things to say when it came to Sunspot when we saw him in Days of Future Past. When it comes to this version, what did you make of, of Roberto da Costa? Well, um, I got to give the movie just Boone and, and the and the producers points because they did cast Henry Zaga, who is a Brazilian actor, to play a Brazilian character. Yeah. But to the chagrin of a lot of fans, um, Henry, you know, Zaga is light skinned as opposed to Roberto's dark skinned um, mm. self in the comics. So, so it does seem like a little bit of whitewashing took place here with his casting. Um, but I think by and large, you know, he does Roberto proud, I, I guess he, you know, he's, he's interestingly, he's the only one there voluntarily because yeah. of, you know, his family coming from a rich family in Brazil. And so presumably he should, he, you would think he would be able to come and go as he pleases, but as it turns out, no, that's not the case after all, as we find out. And um, I, I, I like the fact that um, Roberto had a friendship with Sam, which is something that you wouldn't expect. And, and it's something that was established in the comics because they're, they're, they're almost like superhero bros. You know, they, 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 you know, obviously Roberto comes from this very rich family. Sam comes from a very poor Kentucky family, but the two of them click you know, like maybe because they're the the two main male members of the group, but they they connect with one another, and you, and we're we get that right from the start. You, you get the the inference that they formed that friendship before this movie even started. And there's a there's a scene where they're talking in the wash in the laundry room, and um, they seem to get along very well. So I was very happy to see that. Mm. Um, but but. The main difference, obviously, from the comics is, and we've talked about this when we talked to X-Men, Days of the Future Past, is that for whatever reason, the Fox version of Sunspot acts like, thinks he's the human torch. <laughs> yes. And instead of being Sunspot, you know, he, he's, he's supposed to be strong, he gets his powers from the sun, and that's it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's as far as it goes. So, um, 
so I don't know why they feel this need that like to make him the Human Torch. Um, you know, and, and they give him this background that oh well, he's never actually he he hasn't lost his virginity because he can't get close to girls because he ends up burning them yes. as his emotions rise. So essentially, you know, it's that you know the the metaphor, you know, the mutant powers um, being a symbol of puberty and in uh, in emotions and whatnot, and, and you know that that chemical change in your body. So it, so it's it's you know become this horror show for Roberto, and um, as a result, it makes him a completely different character than what I'm used to. It's very true because you know even in the, all the descriptions of this film, everywhere you look, it says Roberto da Costa, a Brazilian mutant who can manipulate solar energy, <laughs> yet he bursts yeah. into flames. <laughs> right, <laughs> which is which is really really odd. But and John, when it when it comes to you, what did you think of Sunspot? Oh, I I did like him. Um, he, to me, he, his I wanted more of his character. He was the one that it seems like they spent the least amount of time on. Um, and that may just be a result of the movie's runtime. I think this was only around an hour and a half long movie, um, which in today's runtime, that's pretty short. I feel like the movie could have been maybe, you know, 20, 30 minutes longer and given Sunspot some more, some more depth. Um, but as a superhero movie, it didn't have a lot of action. So I don't think they wanted to make it too terribly long because, comic book fans want a lot of fights and the, you know, except for the big fight at the end, most of the, what takes place here is in, you know, people's heads, you know, they're, they're fighting their, their fears and not an actual super villain. So I think if it went too long, you would have maybe bored some people. Um, and his development would have was the result of a short runtime. I think, um, this was also supposed to be the first in a trilogy. So maybe they were going to focus on him a little bit more in upcoming films that are not going to happen now. Um, I did like the, you know, all these characters have some kind of horrible, tragic thing in their past. That's kind of like the, the theme of them. So him burning his girlfriend, just kind of fit in with everybody else trying to deal with something, even though it's not his comic character. Um, it was a little, too maybe too much like rogue where rogue can't touch the people she cares about so it was you know too close to that in my opinion but it it gave him that tragic backstory that every character in this movie has in order to make it the the darker superhero movie that they were going for um but yeah i liked him just wish that maybe he had a little bit more screen time a little bit more development I mean, I, 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 you know, coming off that point, John, I, I will kind of agree with you because I think, you know, we have a rather small cast, if you will. And, you know, so you could have possibly given everybody, you know, more screen time. And I do think that uh, that uh, the Sunspot character maybe does not get as much as possibly, uh, you know, one might have wanted. And, you know, I do like the kind of thing that he has that almost, um, she was that veneer, if you will, being the spoiled rich kid. Who, who seems like a little bit of a douche sometimes. And the the thing was, the moment I saw this guy, I'm like, why hasn't the CW picked this guy up yet? Because he looks like somebody who would work so well in a CW show. Because you know, he's, of course, a very handsome guy. And, you know, looks he just looks as that pretty boy about him. And I have a feeling, you know, I mean, if, as I said, if I were, you know, Greg Belanti or folks working, anybody working on the CW, I'd probably want to pick this guy up. That said... Um, Emphasis I, I, on yet, Nick. Yet, exactly. Don't worry. Don't worry. It'll happen. 
I have a feeling it will too, Charles, because I said to myself, you know, if he was in the Teen Wolf series, by the way. Yep, that's right. So I I have a feeling, you know, he's probably on under the under Berlanti radar. I have a feeling, but I guess, you know, time will tell. But I I, my my same gripe I had was the one that you had pointed out, which was the fact of why does he burst into flames? And also the fact that he's supposed to be able to manipulate solar energy. He you know, you could it would have been made more sense if you would seen him outdoors. When the sun was shining, him going boom and him flying off because of the sun. And it just seemed a little bit of an odd thing. And the fact that uh, he, you know, also comes from the tra- traumatic thing of obviously um, having apparently dis- you know, burnt his girlfriend to death. And also the odd sexual tension between him and Ilyana Rasputin is an interesting one, too. I mean, at least on his part. I don't know whether she's just messing him around and we will get to her. But it seems to me like he's very much into her. But maybe she's just kind of playing him a little bit. So that was an, also an interesting kind of pairing. I guess by movie's end, they it we have to maybe assume that they're a couple. It's a, it's a hard one, tough one to call there. But... That aside, I, I do think this character could have been developed a little bit more. But it was interesting that you know that he's there on his, you know, his own free will. But yeah, of course, you know, surprise, surprise, he's not allowed to leave either. So you think to himself, you feel also if he has these rich and powerful parents, you know, either they don't care about him at all, or they're like this guy's a problem. You know, he could put shame on the family. Want to kind of keep him in this kind of dark place where nobody can see him and so we can carry on with our stuff so that was also my theory when it came to to roberto da costa and the costa family but yeah a little bit of an unused character and folks get the power set right please <laughs> so, right? Move, moving on not that hard. Have, exactly I, I totally i mean it's not that hard so moving on here as, as we have mentioned her a bit and she gets quite a lot of screen time Let's look at Anya Taylor-Joy as Ilyana Rasputin Magic, whom our listeners will know from Split, Glass, The Witch, Emma, and tons of other things. So, you know, starting here with, uh, with you, Charles, what were your thoughts on, uh, on um, Magic or Ilyana Rasputin? Um, I'm a bit, probably Ilyana is my favorite of the New Mutants. I, I love the character. Um, I really liked An- Anya Taylor-Joy as Ileana. Um, there's, you know, it's, was it exactly how I wanted? No, probably about 90% of what I wanted, but, um, but I do realize that what they, what Josh Boone was trying to do was make the new mutants appeal to more of the twilight hunger Games set Mm. in terms of, in terms of audience, what they expect from a film. So, so I realized there had to be some changes here. Primarily, the change to Ileana is that, you know, she can be very um, dark and edgy in the comics, but but here she's essentially the head bee in charge. She 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 is the one calling the shots. She's a bit of a bully to Danny through about the first half of the movie, but then that softens, and as uh, as perhaps grudgingly um, Ileana comes to uh, appreciate uh, Danny as one of the team. So, uh, so, you know, it, it, it does soften a bit, thankfully, but, but Ileana, you know, she just, she's the rebel of the group. She's the one pushing the button. She's the one, you know, as everybody else is trying to do yoga meditation, she's the one, you know, just like looking at, at um, Dr. Reyes, through an arched eyebrow and throughout the whole thing. 
She's she's the contrarian of the group. And as a result, that makes her the most interesting member of the group. Now, obviously, as a, as a big fan of magic in, in the comics, I love the fact that you know we get to see her armor up. I love the fact that we get to see her soul sword from the comics. We get to see her teleport to Limbo. And we don't really... The only downside is that because of possibly, again, that short running time of the movie, that we don't really get a full explanation of that, about what the deal is. Now, maybe, um, you know, that maybe like John said, that, you know, we were going to get these, you know, more details in future movies. But, you know, since we're only getting this one, it feels a little incomplete here. But mm-hmm. but for what we do get, and the, and when there's a great moment where... Um, Magic finally gets to cut loose with as you know the the you know the, those you know images of those projections of the smiley men that that magic faces that that haunt her from her past that um, we get to see her cut loose with that soul sword and it's so glorious and I'm right there with Roberto saying I want to marry that girl <laughs> and oh, will you ha- oh, wait I'm already married I can't do that. <laughs> And yeah, true. And, and were you were you happy when it came to the inclusion of Lockheed with, uh, as her, should we say, pet sidekick? I thought it was a really interesting way to do it. Um, the idea that okay, for the most of the movie, Lockheed is just a puppet, and that that Ileana is playing with and using it to mock other members of the group, or especially Doctor Reyes. And then we get to see, you know, as more of magic's magic, for lack of a better term, uh, her sorcery comes out that that we get to see a proper Lockheed, a CGI Lockheed that we wanted when when they're confronting the demon bear. And I was very happy to see that. Um, you know, obviously we would love to have seen Lockheed with Kitty Pride instead, but obviously we're not going to get that in this in this version. Maybe when it goes to Marvel, here's hoping. So. Uh, this is all we get. The only thing that it, that probably really disappointed me was that we didn't get any acknowledgement whatsoever that Colossus is her bigger brother, her older brother. You know, even if even if it was just a photo of Daniel Cudmore in her room as we when we showed her as a child, that would have been nice. But we get zero acknowledgement of that, and that's the only thing that kind of let me down. I will. De- I'm definitely right with you there because I think you know we could have even had an offhand comment of you know my brothers joined the X Men or something like that. You know, right. even something they were even talking meant- about the X Men. So now would have been a good time. Oh yeah, like my brother who's in the X Men. Yeah, it would have been you know so easy, but you know I guess a bit of a missed opportunity there. And and John, when it comes to you, what were your thoughts on uh, Magic and Lockheed? It's um, this character. It took me. A little while to appreciate in the movie. Um, everybody else I liked right away. Um, but when she first shows up on the screen, I just thought, you know, is she going to be the typical uh, mean girl bully type character? Because uh, that's, you know, how she came across at first. Um, but I did like um, her character because you realize that that, that bulliness is just a, a front. Um, and I liked Lockheed. You know, Lockheed is kind of like her um imaginary friend or security blanket like uh linus's blanket you know she's really at heart a kid and a scared kid and she you know she's got lockheed to kind of help her through that um 
And that gave, you know, that helped me understand that the bully persona was just a front. She really is a scared child at heart. And and I liked Lockheed as the security blanket, imaginary friend. And then, of course, when um, Lockheed becomes real, and uh, that was that was great to see. Um, and the, the soul sword was amazing to see that in action. I just wish they explained what the sword was for people that might not be familiar with the character. You know, they explained Limbo a little bit where she mentions that her and Lockheed went to an imaginary place and the imaginary place became real. Um, but they didn't really explain where the sword comes from. Um, but when she uses it, that is spectacular and a great, a great scene and, and very well done it shows how powerful she is. See, so yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed um, this take on Ileana. Well, I, 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 you know, to to come up that point, I was kind of with you because at the beginning, I thought to myself, what have they done to this character who is usually so meek and mild in the comics? She's just like her brother, who's a very gentle soul. And of course, you know, in the course of the comics, that dark side sometimes sometimes does take over, and she becomes more demonic. But you know, at first, in the original, should we say, in the first run, she's very, very gentle, very kind, very understanding. He's like so sort of mean-spirited i mean i was almost thrown off even when it came to almost the racist comments that she makes at danny's expense but then of course we do find out there's more to it that's you know like, like you were mentioning that uh, it is a front you know just trying to be strong because she is very much a scarred person because obviously i've been you know from what we learned i've either been just been a multiple been the victim of multiple rape and you know possibly been abused and so She's had to develop this cat, this persona in order to face that. And we see that she's still very much troubled by that, which, which was, a, which was a, once again an, an interesting thing. I mean, it, it plays into the whole fact of all these characters have some kind of, uh, um, go, should we say, demon that they're dealing with. And of course, we'll actually get a demon later on. But it's, uh, it, was, it, was, it was well played. And I thought we also got that kind of feeling of claustrophobia, especially with her. When you see her, her bed surrounded by the smiley men, which was very, very um, creepy for sure. I mean, Anna Taylor Joy is a, is a fantastic actress. I mean, I loved her as I'd mentioned in, in Split and Glass, and also just like our friend Zan Sprouse, uh, also in uh, in the Dark Crystal in, in the new uh, series of the Dark Crystal, she was fantastic in that, where she actually voiced Abrea and she did a great job yep. of it. Um, but but yeah, I mean, she it was a great introduction. I was a little bit thrown off by, I said, the maybe very sort of uh, hardened character, but I see why they did that. And Lockheed, you know, I, I've always loved Lockheed in the comics, and I was glad he made an appearance. Would have been nice to have seen him with Kitty Pride, but hey, we got him here, so I, I was definitely pleased with it. And uh, yeah, and it, it makes me really sad that there won't be other films, because we could have then maybe seen more of Limbo and more of what, what all that is about, so... Was definitely it's definitely sad, and I was also wondering when it came also to um, how she feels about Sunspot because I actually wanted your your guys' opinions on this because it seems to me that she might harbor feelings for him, but then she's kind of like I said messing him around like that scene in the pool where she tells him to kind of jump into the pool and everything else, and then she disappears. Do you guys think that um, that that she was that she's just being you know mean if we will, just kind of teasing him, or do you think she actually does have feelings for for Sunspot? I think it was just a, a flirt flirtation, honestly. I don't mm. th- I don't think I don't think Ileana thinks that um personally that I don't think she thinks Roberto is has any depth to match her, you know, hers. I think she I think their personalities don't really clash very well. 
So I thought it was just more of a flirtation. And John, what about you? Do you have any thoughts on that? I think she definitely could have been interested in him, but if um, you know the smiley men, you know, had abused her in some way, um, she's probably very scared to get close to another man. Um, so she doesn't even know how to flirt. <laughs> so I think there's an attraction, but there's also a, uh, a justifiable hesitancy on her part to to get close to another man. You know, if if terrible things did happen to her as a child. She does have walls up, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, and in, in in both literally and and figuratively, for sure. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, we've seen we look at our mutants, if you will. Let's look at our um, antagonists, starting with I guess we could say the prime antagonist in this film, Alice Braga as Doctor Cecilia Reyes, who was fantastic in City of God, folks. If you've never seen City of God, watch that one because. Um, Alice Braga is amazing in that. She was also in Lower City, I Am Legend. She's the protagonist, of course, in the TV series Queen of the South, a fantastic, fantastic actress. And she plays, of course, Dr. Cecilia Reyes, who is very different in the comics. So to, uh, starting with you, John, what did you make of Dr. Cecilia Reyes? Uh, to me, she was just, uh, she came across as just someone employed by an employer and she's doing her job. You know, she's very cold, you know, she's, you know, running tests on these mutants. And um, I think she's just in her mind, she's just doing a job. And then when she's instructed to uh, el eliminate Danny, she starts questioning, you know, you know, is this, you know, can I really kill somebody? And then she gives that whole speech about taking the, the dog to the vet and having to put the dog to sleep. Um, so I think in her mind, that was her justifying what she was about to do because she had some conflict, um, but she's doing a job and kind of convinced herself that this is just, you know, putting a sick dog to sleep. Um, yeah, she was serviceable. You know, she didn't really have great motivation other than she's doing a job for her employer. Um, but, you know, it, it worked for, for what she was supposed to do. I guess not every bad guy has to have sinister motives. You know, sometimes they're just, uh, you know, someone doing their job, even though it's not right. Mm, true and and uh, Charles what about you you know as I mentioned you know, this character is very different from the comics and oh yeah wh what did you think about the fact of you know using the name Dr. Cecilia Reyes but ostensibly making it a different character and what we got to see of her in this film yeah it's 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 very interesting because Reyes in the comics you know she's pretty heavily associated with the X-Men she's actually a member of the X-Men for a brief time mm. and um, and it is still associated with them to this day. So my ex expectations going in, you know, it was obviously I had perceived, you know, what I knew of Reyes. You know, she was a, basically a good character. Um, she was a more heroic character. And to see her cast as a villain here was surprising. Um, more so once you find out that, oh, well, hey, the, the her employers turned out to be the Essex Corporation, which, mm -hmm. spoilers, that's. Mr. Sinister, one of the X-Men's biggest bads, so uh, which I'm sure would have been explored in the sequel at some point had we gotten the sequel. But uh, but it uh, you know it, it here we see Reyes being the sole person in charge of this this facility, and I find it really interesting that okay we have five powerful mutants, she's the only one there running the show. I mean, yeah, she has 
contact to the outside world, but all she has is her own. She's a mutant as well, her own force field powers as the only way to kind of um, protect herself against them and keep them in line. And she's resorting to things like, you know, she, she tries to um, counsel them and manipulate them a little bit in the counseling sessions. And we find out that she's trying to essentially recruit her, recruit um, the, the members to become potentially assassins. And, you know, so it's, it's so she does have a very ulterior motive going on, and and you know she kind of tips a little bit over the edge, especially when she goes to kill Danny, and talks like you said about you know putting a dog down, the fact that she you know she's equating Danny with a with a an animal that needs you know to be put out of um, not just its misery but humanity's misery, and then so it's so it's a very unsettling attitude that she has and um it's great obviously to watch her get her comeuppance especially when wolf's bane you know just hacks her face to pieces and cars her up like a uh like an orange but or an apple but um but uh you kind of wonder you know well what this character would have been like in a different perhaps marvel cinematic version yeah, I mean, that's I agree, because I thought it was a curious um, choice to go with somebody like Dr. Reyes and turn her into an antagonist, because, like you know, like you mentioned, she is often associated with the X-Men is, is a hero. Granted, she wants to kind of, the character in the comics wants to live her own life and almost doesn't want to be a superhero, but she's like, okay, I'm here, I might as well get, you know, help you guys out. But here it was just it was just so odd. And, you know, as you mentioned, she's the only one managing these five mutants who could probably uh, possibly overpower her at any given moment, which they pretty much almost do. do. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and so you think to yourself, yeah, you would think there maybe would be a little bit more security going on, which was which was curious. Yeah. And the essay, the not couldn't the afford essay. it with a budget. I guess. <laughs> I guess not. They're like, yeah, we're so understaffed. This is what we got right now, guys. It's COVID. We can't. We can't pay for other people. Um, but what I thought was what I thought was was odd was that uh, it was interesting was the Essex Corporation because I was like, oh, please tell me we get Mister Sinister, please. But uh, no, not even. I was even hoping hoping for a post credit scene where we might have seen you know something there. But you know, maybe someday. Definitely, uh, it's time. It's about time that Mister Sinister makes his appearance. But uh, that said, yeah, the cold scientific side really creeped me out. It made me think once again of folks like Dr. Mengele, for example, who's kind of like almost like, let's say, uh, use these people, cut these people up and see what they look like inside. Or if you have to kill, kill them, oh, well, you know, you just have to follow orders. And you can almost make the point that she's kind of like a quizling, if you will, because she's a mutant killing her own kind. Um, and, you know, I wish they'd explained that also, as in, was she coerced to work for the Essex Corporation? Was it like, we, it's either, you know, either you work for us or we will kill you as well? And that is never sort of really explained. And so I thought to myself, they could have, you know, also somewhat given us something about that of, you know, she has no choice or rather it's her life or other people's and she's doing this to kind of save her own skin. Um, so, so that was, that was a little bit of a, a letdown, if you will, or I would have liked to have known more about that. But other than that, an interesting antagonist for a film like this. 
Uh, and uh, I mean, I think uh, Alice Braga did a great job. She's she's a fantastic actress and she did great with what she was given, especially that famous uh, uh, scene that you you guys were both alluding to of when she's about to basically kill Danny. And she kind of is very cold about it, saying, you know, I'm putting a rabid dog down, if you want. So it was like, yeah, that was very unsettling, but, uh, but definitely a, a great uh, portrayal indeed. So before we get to ratings, guys, let's actually look at the, what this movie is all about, should we say, with a character that can be felt throughout this film and at the end allows our mutants to uh, you know, work together to fight, if you will, the demon bear. And I would also look at the smiley men who were voiced by none other than Mr. Marilyn Manson. And I was like, wow, they finally got Marilyn into, into a superhero <laughs> film. So <laughs> I, I think this was, the, this was the right movie to get him in indeed. So, um, John, when it comes to you, what were your thoughts on the demon bear and the smiley men? Oh, I thought that final battle was great. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought the CGI was good. Um, like I said earlier, you know, seeing the soul sword just slicing things up was great. Um, Rain got to, to slash at the bear a little bit. Um, I, I enjoyed that final battle. Um, it, it, I thought it was exciting. It was entertaining seeing all those characters finally use their powers. You kind of build up to that moment, the whole movie, because they're, you know, they're fighting things in their head and now they get to fight an actual real entity. And, uh, I, I enjoyed that, the, the climax of the film very much. And, and Charles, what about you? I mean, I know you and I talked a little bit about this, but, uh, what were your thoughts on, on the demon bear and the smiley men? Yeah, obviously as a new mutants fan, comics fan, I know I enjoyed seeing the demon bear. It's a pretty notable new mutant storyline in the comics. So to see that represented on screen was fantastic. I thought uh, the depiction of it was very Bill Sakinovich-esque in a lot of ways. The, the, the art style, the design of that creature, and um, the smiley men were interesting. Uh, you know, it's it's not quite you know the demon Belasco from the comics that I would I would have loved to have seen when it comes to magic, but you know, it was a very interesting choice. They were very, very creepy. Again, I think this is, you know, geared toward, you know, a much, much more millennial um, audience who, you know, has certain expectations when it comes to a sort of, you know, pseudo action horror flick like this was intended to be in a lot of ways, a psychological thriller. But, yeah. um, but, uh, but I thought it was very effective. And, you know, it, like John said, it was great to see the team uh, standing up to the bear at the end, uh, especially, you know, seeing Ileana and Rain cutting loose with their powers um, and their abilities. And so my only question, you know, concern was, the, you know, because of Danny's abilities, that what we're told is in this version, instead of just being able to project images, she projects nightmares. So it it almost feels to me like, you know, she should have been more central to the bear's destruction. Hmm. So you and thought defeat. that, yeah. <clears throat> so, so you, I mean, so were you, were you were, you were, you would have preferred it to have been that way. So you weren't happy with the, with that, with that, with the way that was handled. Well, I wasn't necessarily unhappy with it, but I just thought it, you know, she should have had a more of a, a prominent role in his defeat. Mm. I, I think so too to be honest i mean i i have to say when it comes to smiley men first off i wonder 
whether um, the director of this film had actually gone, whether Josh Boone had actually gone and watched Miss Peregrine's uh, School for, for, for Peculiar Children because they reminded me so much of the hollows in that film. I don't know if either of you have watched the Miss, Pere- the Miss Peregrine movie, but I they watched are, some of it. Yeah, there, there are characters in there, that, which are the hollows, who are the antagonists in that, which are eerily familiar or eerily similar to the smiley men so i wonder whether josh boone is actually a fan of that film and of should we say the miss Pe- miss peregrine world the, and the peculiar world because that's the immediate vibe i got from them it was interesting well, the, well, nick, that- I, nick i've got a, an alternate um suggestion of the uh the genesis of the smiley men here because again going back to those little easter eggs where they're watching buffy the vampire slayer on television mm-hmm. one of the scenes was where they were showing the episode uh, featuring the the Buffy villains, the gentlemen, which were these very creepy, extremely creepy, smiling figures that that floated around eerily. One of them played by the great Doug Jones, and um, you know, just they were so so creepy. One of the creepiest villains probably ever on Buffy Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I kind of wondered if. Um, that was also foreshadowing the smiley men later in the episode, kind of like with, um, with rain and Danny's relationship being foreshadowed by Willow and Tara earlier in the movie. Well, that's a fantastic point. I mean, I suppose, you know, it, that, that it's all, see, it's all about Buffy in this film for sure. <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, heavily influenced by Buffy. Yes. Oh, no, no doubt, no doubt. And but you know, I thought it was interesting that they actually called Marilyn Manson in to do the voices. I mean, they couldn't have found anybody else. I mean, I, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I'm happy Marilyn Manson did this, but I'm trying to imagine Marilyn Manson going into like the recording booth, saying you're just going to have to basically growl and howl, and that's pretty much all you're going to have to do. Well, that's it. Uh, his wheelhouse. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you know, and, he's, and even better, he's there with all the beautiful people. The beautiful people. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was hoping we'd get something like that, but I was like, okay, I suppose maybe you know Mr. Boone is, is friends with Marilyn Manson. Like, are you doing anything today? Do you want to come in and help me on this project? I have a feeling it went this, the discussion was something on, along those lines. But it was it was they were they were very creepy and uh, a great addition. The demon bear I was actually pleasantly surprised with because I thought to myself, how are they going to manage you know doing a CGI bear and make it look you know, impressive and, you know, because we have to obviously be somewhat scared or, or by this character. And, you know, granted, I wasn't terrified or anything, but I really liked what we what we were given and just uh, the imposing kind of uh, presence that, that this cat, that this um, antagonist brings. And the fact that, you know, everybody's kind of trying to do what they can to stop it. And it seems literally unstoppable. And of course, you know, it, it brings in that whole um, that really could have fallen flat if they handled it proper improperly. Oh, yes. That, that, in fact, that was my big, big, big thought about that, Charles. I thought to myself is, you know, if this goes wrong, you know, it's the, the movie's going to really suffer because, of course, it's all been leading up to this moment. Uh, but but yeah, then it brings back the whole concept of what Danny is. You know, we hear the narrative voice of Danny saying about the two bears. It depends which one you feed. And this obviously plays into that as well by movie's end, because she almost almost tames the bear by the end of the film. So it's almost like, you know, she's had that this contrast within her that she's finally been able to win over. So it was um, it was it was well played. And I thought these these were definitely uh, interesting antagonists for sure. So, guys, then at this point, you know, we, we talked about this movie a little bit. What 
what are, when it comes to ratings, what do you give this film? Charles, let's start with you. What do you give this film out of 10? Well, uh, you know, like I said, this was a this film was much better than uh, I expected it to be after so many delays and you know obviously the the online community being less than kind as they often are to mm. these sorts of things. So I gave it eight and a half out of ten soul swords. Mm. Wow, well I, that, that's great. And and John, what about you? What do you give this film? I uh, I also was pleasantly surprised. Um, I don't know if I, because I went in with low expectations, I'm going to give it a higher rating, but uh, I'm giving it an eight. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really good. They went with a different feel than, uh, uh, than most superhero movies. It was more of a psychological thriller. Um, I think the, uh, they talked in the movie about how young um rattlesnakes are more dangerous than the older ones because they don't know how to control their venom mm. i thought that described all these characters they've all got some tragedy in their past because they didn't know how to use their powers um gave the movie a much darker feel because of that um mm. so i like the fact that there was a different tone to this movie than most superhero movies um i like the music the music jumped out at me i thought the music really added to the suspense um and i felt the kids seemed like kids a lot of times you get uh, movies where um the protagonists are real young and they act like you know trained adults uh but these these were clearly kids struggling with their issues and um learning how to you know stand up for themselves against the uh, the threat um it was i really enjoyed it um i tend to enjoy all the x-men movies more than most comic book fans because i understand they're not the comics um you have to consider the mutant films you know alternate universe takes of these characters a lot of times um mm. but if you're able to ignore the the comics and just take the movies for what they are i think all the x-men movies are very enjoyable and this is right up there with them i was very surprised um when we rented it on amazon video and i kind of wish we would have bought it because i i would <laughs> definitely want this movie again so it, it, it's getting a solid eight from me well, it looks like we're all on the same page because I'm also going to give this, like Charles, I'm actually going to give this an eight out of, out of half out of ten as I really, really enjoyed it. I'm definitely going to be, and I, de and I picked it up on, on Blu-ray myself, so I was so happy because I was like, I'm about to watch this film that I've never seen before. You know, we just bought it kind of, you know, kind of closed box or whatever, so we'll see how it goes. And I was so glad. I'm like, yes, I don't have to return this. I'm so glad. I actually really liked it. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to give this an eight and a half out of ten for sure. And, you know, you pointed out the music, John. I actually forgot to mention the music was scored by none other than a certain Mark Snow, who is none other than the man behind the X-Files theme. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and also, um, I believe, worked on Millennium as well, another uh, Chris Carter TV show, of course. And, you know, so it seems like Josh Boone definitely uh, has, has quite a few um, fingers in pies when it comes to music. You know, bring, bring in Mark Snow, Marilyn Manson. So I have a feeling that uh, he has quite a few good friends in the music industry. So, uh, but yeah, it was a great choice to have Mark Snow, and he does a great job with the soundtrack for sure. So from soundtracks to reading recommendations, do either of you have any um, any comics that you would like to recommend to our listeners? John, did you have any, any uh, um, books, you know, made pertaining to this? you think folks should check out oh yeah i certainly do um one of the the fun things about the x universe in comics is there's so many characters 
that you're constantly discovering new characters you want to learn about. So after watching this movie, I never read the 1982 Chris Claremont New Mutants run that introduced uh, Cannonball, Mirage, Sunspot, Will Spain, but I am definitely going to read that now. Um, also, the current New Mutants title uh, under the Dawn of X umbrella, which is the new the new scenario for the X-Men and Marvel uh, magic Mirage and Will Spain are in there. So I'm planning on picking those up. So those will be some new, new books for me to read. Um, and one that I have read before that I do highly recommend if you enjoyed rain in this movie, uh, Will Spain, she was a regular on the X factor team, starting with issue no, uh, number 71 uh, written by Peter David. Um, that X factor team is forge havoc, uh, multiple man, Polaris, strong guy, and Wolf Spain. I consider that the character development and that run on par with what Chris Claremont did with the original X Men. I think that run is just amazing. And if you like Wolf Spain, check that out starting in issue 71 of X Factor from 1991. Uh, in particular, issue number 87 is just a brilliant piece of writing. Basically, it's all of those characters going to talk to a counselor, and you get to. Uh, uncover what's going on inside of each of their heads and it's just a really really great piece of writing and the, the overall arc from 71 on by peter david is just great character development and uh, will spain is a big part of that great ones for sure and charles what about you well of course uh, i'm gonna come out from the the new mutants uh old school fan side so i'm definitely gonna recommend first and foremost marvel graphic novel number four from 1982, which introduced the New Mutants in their own solo graphic novel, uh, which was titled Renewal uh, by the great Chris Claremont and Bob McCloud, who does get a name check in this movie, although they misspelled his name at first until they had to um, <laughs> correct it. So nice to see them properly recognizing those comics creators, right? Then I'd also yeah. recommend... Um, Uncanny X-Men, Volume 1, Number 167, The Goldilocks Syndrome, which was a fun little issue where the X-Men uh, returned to Earth after de battling the brood and find that, oh, hey, while they were off in space, the Professor Xavier recruited a new team of mutants, the New Mutants, and uh, they're now staying at their crib. And, oh, by the way, Professor X has been infected by a brood uh, queen egg and is turning into a brood so lots of great chaos going on and it was a great first meeting between the x-men and the new mutants that i highly recommend checking out uh, also i want to definitely recommend the demon bear saga which this movie is primarily based upon at least the, the central plot of this um, from new mutants volume one number 18 through 20 by claremont once again and also artist bill sinkevich who joins the title with issue number 18. That was from 1984. Uh, very great. You know, it was such a, Sikinovich was a, such a breath of fresh air compared to Brett, Bob McLeod, who, you know, was a great artist, but, you know, a, a much more standard artist. But Sikinovich was, has a much more abstract style. And the book, this is where the book developed a darker edge, which I think a lot of the tone you know, inspire Josh Boone, at least this version of the movie. And, um, and it's probably why, you know, Boone went to this, 
for his first mutant storyline, even though he planned others that obviously never reached fruition. Well, very true. I mean, I, and I still think it's such a shame because I would have liked to have seen what should we say Boone's vision was as a whole. You know, who knows? Right. Maybe you know, who, maybe someday. I guess you know. I guess the world just wasn't ready for the new mutants just yet, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, but yeah, I, I, I definitely definitely feel you there when it comes to that. And, and you know, you guys have both name checked the, the the my recommendations too. So folks, check out these wonderful wonderful titles. They are definitely worth your time. They're fantastic fantastic reads indeed. And of course, if you want to be like Charles and John and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happiness and darkness how at gmail. We also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach out with those also at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. You can follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod, or on Instagram under Hin Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the, pod, to support the podcast and feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash happinessanddarkness. A big, big thank you to our wonderful, wonderful patrons out there. Also, as always, we want to send a big thank you to our video maker, David Moreno, the mad scientist behind all the great episode trailers you can find on our Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to his nostalgia channel on YouTube. The man does great work. And when it comes to the two of you and what you do, where can I find this is find the two of you on the interwebs? Let's start with you, Charles. Well, Nick, <laughs> you can find me, of course, at Charles Skaggs on Twitter, at Charles Skaggs on Instagram, or my blog at Geeky Things, Damn Good Coffee and Hot, where I talk about all kinds of comic book news, sci-fi news, news of my podcasts that I do for the Southgate Media Group, including, well, hey, the Phantom Zone podcast, where certain DJ Nick and I are going to be talking WandaVision here in a couple weeks. That's going to be a lot of fun if yes, you're uh, if you're a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan. And we'll be joined, of course, by Jesse Jackson. Who, and Jesse is also my co-host on Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, where we talk all things Doctor Who, Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures, Big Finish Audios, and more. Then there's Ghostwood, the Twin Peaks podcast that I do with Zan Sprouse. Wife of comic book artist Chris Prouse, where we talk all things Twin Peaks, David Lynch, etc., etc., and have a, a, a lot of fun doing that. And uh, coming up here very, very shortly, we're going to be reviewing the 1984 version of Dune, directed by David Lynch. Mm. So I hope everybody checks that out. It's something I've been wanting to talk about for a long, long time. And I'm so glad we're finally getting around to that. And then... Um, Titan Talk, the Titans podcast that I also do with Nick, which is currently on hiatus. But uh, when we come back, you know, once we get new episodes on HBO Max, we'll be talking Titans Season 3, Doom Patrol Season 3, and hope everybody checks that out. And then, last but certainly not least, Drunk Cinema that I also do with Zan, where we, we're just three episodes in, but so far we've covered some great 80s movie classics. We've talked Batman 1989, we talked Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and our third episode, we talked Die Hard, yes. which was perfect for the Christmas time, right? Because it's the ultimate Christmas movie. <laughs> so if you enjoy some adult beverages and adult conversation, definitely check out Drunk Cinema as we all watch movies together and have a blast watching them uh, and sharing our thoughts as we do our little commentaries for each of those. And I hope everybody uh, gives us a look. And uh, we definitely appreciate those who have and hope uh, you get some, we get some new listeners as well. Well, folks, definitely check out all the wonderful projects 
the Charles is involved in, you know, just but not not just the ones that I'm on, folks. Be sure to check out the other ones for sure, of course. Uh, um, you know, from Ghostwood to Drunk Cinema to Next Stop Everywhere, they are fantastic, fantastic things indeed. And uh, John, when it comes to you, where can folks find you? Well, my uh, interwebs activity has slowed down a little bit since I am in grad school right now, but uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is the amazing Yan, and it's at John Yancheck One. Um, I like to tweet about the things I like in pop culture, mostly comic books, my favorite comics of the week. Also, some you know, when I do get to go to the movies when they're open, uh, I'll comment about movies I've seen, TV shows I've watched. But it's, it's mostly comic book related stuff. Um, the amazing Yan is my uh, alter ego. Um, that's my magician name uh just before COVID hit i was all ready to start uh pursuing my interest in magic uh 100 and then COVID shut everything down um but i do a uh superhero themed uh, magic show for kids and adults um once COVID opens up hopefully i'll get moving on that again and you'll find that on twitter um the theme of my magic show since we're moving into a new year uh, the theme of my magic show is there's no such thing as magic. There's no supernatural forces, in my opinion. But you can make real magic by spreading kindness. So I hope uh, you all take that and, and make 2021 the year of making magic by spreading kindness. Well, that's a beautiful sentiment indeed, John. And I'm actually really looking forward to seeing, you know, more of this uh, magic show of yours, you know, once you can, you know, finally uh, get it out there indeed. You know, I'm definitely very intrigued about it. And when, when it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I do host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play traditional country, today's country and everything else in between. For more about that and where to tune in, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast wise, feel free to check out our latest project, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where with the aforementioned Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend, we are reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to Present Day. If you'd like to join us and discuss your favorite Best Picture winner, and of course, you know, uh, Charles has already joined us on there for a couple of uh, uh, Patreon, Patreon films and will be joining us again soon for another one. You can, of course, uh, send us an email if you'd like to join the discussion, goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. That's goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. We're also on the Twitter and Facebook. And of course, uh, Charles uh, mentioned, of course, Titan Talk and the Fandom Zone, which I'm having a blast doing with him and Jesse. They're just fantastic people and just a joy, joy to be part of those two wonderful families indeed. And speaking of things to come on this show, next week we'll be joined by Kelly Pippin to discuss the 2012 Pete Travis film, Dread. That said, <laughs> yes, it's going to be quite the conversation. Nice. <laughs> yes. I like that movie. Oh, you know what? Showing my hand here, I did too. I think we're going to have a, a last definitely talking about it. Um, but that said, of course, when it comes to you, Charles, and it comes to you, John, I want to thank you both so much for, for joining me today on Happiness and Darkness. And I certainly cannot thank you both enough and really look forward to having you back again soon. Well, thank well, you, Nick. I definitely appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you. Likewise, for sure. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with Kelly Pippin and Dread. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people. When the days are cold and the cards all fold and the saints we see are all made of gold. When your dreams all fail and the ones we the worst of all and the bloods run stale I wanna
the truth I wanna shelter you But with the beast inside There's nowhere we can hide No matter what we breathe We still are made of greed This is my kingdom come This is my kingdom come Sinners cross so they do